0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. It is the Royal Blue Podcast, it is live and we are streaming across YouTube and Facebook. I'm Ian Crowell and this afternoon I am joined by Chris Beasley. Chris, how are things, you okay? Still on a high after the last
1: few days, the last few games? Just about, yeah, it's nice that we've had this um, full week to enjoy it actually, after obviously the back-to-back victories, didn't have... Long to enjoy the Newcastle United one. So, um, yeah, getting get get the full week almost there after Chelsea. Yeah, that's, that's pretty nice, I'm sure, for all Blues. No,
0: it definitely has been a nice couple of days basking in the glory of three wins in a row. Hoping it's going to be four against Burnley on Saturday, come Saturday evening. Just a few things before we get going properly. Uh, please submit your questions in the comments section. We will try and get through as many as possible. And also, please remember to like, subscribe to our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Please show us some support. Chris, to the agenda then, today, it's all about Abdelai Um What a transformation it's been for the midfielder, left out under the cold, under Frank Lampard, now arguably the first name on Everton's team sheets, and now, you know, an integral part, and some might say a leader in that team. Chris, you've you've written a piece today, um, which if, you know, you're watching on YouTube and Facebook, uh, if you'd like to read that piece, you can find that article in the YouTube description, and you can also find that link to the article in the comments section as well. So, Chris, I'm just going to read out the headline so people are aware yeah. of what it is. Um, you've written the piece and you've picked the headline. So, headline goes, Sean Dice has unlocked new Abdelai, the Corey a treat.
1: No other ever a manager could. So, yeah,
0: um, tell us more.
1: Yeah. Yeah, as, as, as we know, like you say, he was, um, wasn't was even in the team, was he, when Fred Lampard finished, and then he'd, been fit, he'd been, you know, been a regular earlier on in the in the season, he played quite a lot, but then just right towards the end of the front Lampard reign, he'd fallen out completely with the manager so much so that it's understood he was even training on his own. He'd been totally frozen out yet yeah, one of the first things that Sean Deitch did was to bring him straight back in. Change the formation because of him because I mean if you remember back to the end of January when Deitch came in, Deitch predominantly always played four four two. Um at Berlin, you know, I'd been there for nearly a decade, and that had all often been his, his go-to formation. He'd use that most of the time. So we kind of expected, oh, he'd probably do the same with Everton. First game of course was was Arsenal. It was um 4-5-1. But the integral part of that was the corey in the role that he was playing as a much more advanced central midfielder than he'd done any other for, um effort managers he'd on played under. And that was into it'd been integral To the whole system, it's almost like he's playing as that one-and-a-half striker. You know, he's knitting those two areas, the midfield and the attack um, between the two areas, you know, with that great running that that he's able to um, produce, and he sort of took it from there. Obviously, he didn't score straight away, but I I think from that moment in, he got his first goal on the his That's now 11 in his last 26 matches. So, that's a strike rate we worked out of. Goal every two point three six games as a sort of strike rate that the best strikers would be proud of. You mean compare that to Dominic Calvert Lewin, one of only four Everton players to have got to fifty Premier League goals for the club. He's done that in goal every three point eight six games. You know, I know if the Corey is a midfielder averaging one point two, sorry, one every two point three six. Obviously, we're not expecting to keep that up forever, but I mean it's an incredible, um, Purple patchy He's been through and they uh, you know he's done that both the running last season, helping them to stay up. And of course, the most important goal, you know, against Bournemouth to retain Premier League um, safety. And then, you know, he's carried on that this season, including goals in both of these victory home victories um, this past week against both Newcastle United and, and now Chelsea.
0: So this is the now then, Chris. And we will come on to his stats and how they've yeah. they improved so much. But let's go back to when Everton signed the Corday. Eh? <clears throat> excuse me so we yeah, went over and signed the Corey under Angelotti from a relegated Wofford in yeah. 2020 yeah. Um when he first arrived then Chris, what were your expectations of the Corey?
1: Yeah he, he was very much seen as the over signing wasn't he that that summer I know Ben Godfrey followed on a bit later on from that, but they signed three midfielders if you remember James Rodriguez all the fanfare that came with that one and then Alan who'd He'd been tracking for a long time. A couple of players who previously played for Carlo Ancelotti, both at Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. In Hamas' case, and then um, Napoli for Allen. And the court, he was very much seen as like the other midfield, as a sort of like the out the free, Very much the least that was expected of him. Ancelotti admitted later that he'd not even been on his on his radar. He'd been a player and um, recommended to him by the club. Uh, Marcel Brands had been tracking him, and he liked him, and. Um, uh, Ancelotti actually came to really sort of appreciate his, his efforts and um, what, what he brought. Yeah, I mean, I think from my own point of view, I seem to remember that, you know, he was highly rated as someone who was a bit different to Everton in terms of the midfield. Um, in, uh, just the way he, he was a box-to-box midfielder, maybe not expecting quite as, uh, you know, the goals that we've seen now under, under Deitch, but um, he would be able to sort of cover a lot of ground. But I think the way he was deployed by Ancelotti... Then Benitez, a bit different. Again, he was more creative under Benitez without necessarily being as attack minded as he'd come under Daich. And then Lampard. Those three managers weren't really able to get anything out of him that uh, obviously Deitch has done. And that, you know, it's a testament to, you know, what uh, staff, what, what they've been able to bring from him. But yeah, what I was expecting at the time was somebody who would give you a lot of running and could bring that, that, that energy in, into the midfield um, back in 2020.
0: I mean, he, he definitely wasn't like the the star signing as such. I mean, he did come for a lot of money, but like you say, we we bought the likes of James Rodriguez and Allen in that window, so he wasn't kind of coming in to be the, the star of the team, was he? Do you think he was just brought in to be, you know, the engine within within that midfield?
1: Yeah, I think that 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 that, that was the point. But then what we what we saw from him, it it, it wasn't really supposedly playing to the best of his abilities he did a good job being you know he was it was effective at times like I said in those early days under Benitez in that very brief period when things were going well for him he was looking quite creative uh, as well but I suppose if you're looking at what he he can be you know he can at time play a really sort of tell and pass which is it's great when it happens and you know he is capable of that he's got it in his locker but Often, you know, his distribution can sometimes be be wayward, whereas you know he keeps going with the running, and uh, you you know you're always going to get something out of him in in that respect. So yeah, I think it was just two, two goals in the Premier League in both of his first two seasons, and you know that's that's a complete contrast to the sort of numbers he's producing now. And I don't know we'll go on to this, but it's not just the goals that have improved; it's it's just all it's just all round attacking play.
0: And funnily enough, so obviously yeah. when he when he signed in 2020, Angelotti kind of confessed and suggested that he, he wasn't part of, part of his transfer plans. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't even want him.
1: So. Now, yeah, but well, case I guess not one of I guess he's just written, not been considered really. Um, you know, Ancelotti had obviously got, got very clear ideas of the players who he wanted, you know, those players he'd worked with um, previously. And, uh, yeah, it's one of those, as both what we've seen now in the latter years, for better or for worse at Everton with the director of football, model went from Steve Walsh to Marcel Brands and now uh, Kevin fellwell he was one that came with, from within the club's own recruitment and there'd been someone that the director of football um, felt would be would be suitable and it's telling really isn't it that you know you know, three, three years on from that now Ancelotti's long gone as has James Rodriguez, I mean, we didn't even get to see him play. I mean, he didn't even play, did he, in front of um, spectators at any point, apart from that um, friendly Old Trafford, I think, or certainly in this country. And um, Alan stuck around a bit longer, but I think he flattered to deceive. We know what we're all expecting from him, really. He was a big disappointment and the, the pair of them have sort of moved on to lesser things s- since then. So, yeah, it's, it's telling that the, the core is still very much at the top of his game. And he's going from strength to strength he's what we call in football the wrong side of 30 now but you know no showing no signs of slowing down he's still as energetic as ever he's signed that contract um, extension and as important as ever forever And because of this uh, increased uh, attacking element to, to his game which we um, discussed in the piece
0: Yeah absolutely and then <clears throat> Just a reminder to everyone watching live on YouTube and Facebook, please, submit your questions in the comments section, we'll try and get through as many as possible. We have got, not a question, but rather a statement already from Ooh. Roland Goodrum on Facebook. Chris, he's just said, he's definitely found form on the dice.
1: Yeah, well, well, he has, hasn't he? I would say, you know, to be fair, I think the players had to do it themselves, but dice has found form from the core. You've got to give the manager a lot of credit, I think, for this. It was a bit of a Bold move when we first saw him in that sort of advanced position. We thought, yeah, he's going to be like in the thick of things in the engine room. But you know, to give him that license to roam and to, to get upfield and support the striker, um, yeah, it's it, both the manager and player deserves a great credit for this sort of renaissance there and joining the, the importance that he brings to the team. Now, before
0: we carry on, then, Chris, I just want to kind of my, give you my opinion and my yeah. overall opinion when. He first came in. I was very excited about the core yeah. coming into the team. He obviously, you know, but there wasn't, you know, a lot of fanfare, but I just thought he was a really good player. I expected him to be a box-to-box midfielder. Um, but I felt like even though in his first, you know, season, maybe 18 months, you know, people considered him to be a success, I kind of wanted more from him. I, yeah. You know, I wanted maybe what he's doing now. Um, obviously, that comes with, you know, playing in different positions, you know, the trust that that particular manager has with, with you. But am I being a little bit harsh on, or am I being fair on his first you know, 12 to 18 months?
1: Yeah, I think we're all kind of feeling like that, Ian. Like you're saying, um, it, we've wanted a bit more than just the, the, the box-to-box. We felt that there was a bit in there. And, it, and it's been proven now, isn't it? Because we're seeing it on the that so He has been capable of adding of that, that to... Um, his game, but I guess you know, like all players, he's he's bound by the, the, the tactics that um, the manager are deploying. So, at a, a mm-hmm. certain degree, of course, you you know, if you if you're good enough, you're going to have that freedom. But you know, if the, if the manager is telling you to do a certain role, then you know, if you, if you step out of line in that respect, uh, maybe he's going he's going to drop you. So yeah, we were left uh, feeling that. Wanting a bit more, down. the thing was that I suppose if you look back, I mean, I'm sure everyone was disappointed and frustrated that he'd fallen out with Frank Lampard. But if he'd have left the club maybe at that point, halfway through last season, maybe there wouldn't have been like too many tears sheds. There would have been right, regrets that he'd not sort of done what we'd all hoped. But I, I don't think people would have thought it was the end of the world. But I mean, here we are almost 12 months on from, from that. I and mean, we were just seeing just what a valuable asset he is to the club. Yeah, Absolutely. Sue Calvert on Facebook. No question, but
0: a bit, bit of a statement. Everybody is pulled together. There seems a real team spirit now. Standards have risen across the board and there are fewer egos dominating the squad. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, standards have certainly uh, um, in, in increased, haven't they? And, and, and it's um, long overdue. It's That's what we, we've needed at Everton. I mean, we have to have joke with fans about this. Um, somebody called us on the train back from Crystal Palace um, the other, last month and... Uh, said to Joe Thomas, oh, you tell that Chris Beasley stopped writing the lowest um, points total in the club's history. And I said, well, I I write that to to call them out. I mean, it was was terrible, you know, for all the Evertonians have had to put up with. um, Last season was the lowest equivalent points total in in the club's history. And, you know, Everton should be doing far better than that. And we're seeing that this this season. It's incredible, really. You know, if it wasn't for the points deduction, they'd be in the top half now. And uh, you even put... Pushing for Europe, of course, that's not that's not the case, but they're the performances that this team on the pitch has at least achieved this season, and people like DeKore have been at the heart of that.
0: Before we come on to the well documented spat that Dekore mm-hmm. had with Lampard then, so JD EFC on YouTube says a very unorthodox number ten, tall, gangly, awkward, but it works. Um, pops up all across the front and fastly becoming a fan favourite in the Tim Cahill, Moles, do
1: you agree with that one? Yeah, I agree. I have compared him to Tim Cahill actually in my analysis um, after the, the Chelsea went because, well, like you're saying, he's not—he's certainly not your classic number ten. And we discussed this on the podcast earlier in the week. Probably does help that unorthodox sort of nature of him, in that teams don't quite know how to handle him or what he's gonna what he's gonna do. But um, yeah, I've never had that for a long time. And the reason I compared him to Cahill was that. Kale's usually popular player, Pick, um, came up with goals at important times for Everton. But if we look back, if we're honest, you know, in terms of his, his all-round play, it's not like he's an incredible passer. Even though he's a very aggressive player, it's not like he's an amazing tackler. It's not like he was the fastest player in the in the world. He probably didn't cover anywhere near as much ground as, as Decore. But what they've both got is that knack um, Dykes describes, he calls him jo- um, Johnny on the spot, of, of being there at the right times and of finishing these chances when they come their way and I know Fellaini sort of was that awkward customer in a similar attacking midfield role in, in Moyes' last year or so Everton after Cale um, had left um, but Everton arguably haven't had this for over a decade since Moyes was in charge in the days of Cale and Fellaini of having somebody like this on midfield who could get up and provide these kind of goals so yeah you can certainly compare him to, to Tim kale and I and I agree there with the comment that, you know, that, that unorthodox nature and the fact that he is different and, uh, you know, gangly, like you say, uh, probably is an uh, Everton's advantage.
0: So we've also had a question from Toffee too on YouTube, but before I I read that out, Chris, I will kind of want to move on um onwards to, like throughout the his Everton career. So yeah. when uh, Angelotti left, uh, the successor was Rafa Benitez, and then he was kind of deployed more of a in a creative role, a little bit further forward, was that kind of the, the start of? I mean, I'm not giving any credit at all to, to Rafa Benitez whatsoever, but you, you could maybe you could maybe see the core would be better suited to to playing up front.
1: Yeah, playing up front yeah. as a as an attacking yeah, exactly a more advanced role. Um, it was a bit weird, really, because yeah, like I said, there were times I remember him playing some some lovely sort of diagonals at times and some really sort of telling passes. Because like I said earlier, he has got that in his locker, but then he's not really always the greatest passer at the ball. I think Deitch is utilising him better in terms of using that motor and getting him up and down the pitch. So it's not just be sheer bloody-mindedness from Evertonians. Don't give raffer any credit, but I don't think that the Corey was ever going to be some amazing playmaker in, in that respect. Again, it, maybe it's somebody getting a different tune out of him, but not quite. Getting the the best out of him again, so yeah, it was a strange one. It did; it was effective at times, but not nowhere near as uh, as effective as this kind of role has got on the Dykes, which I would argue is quite a a, a very different um, attacking role.
0: To the point in his Everton career, then where it seemed like he was at a crossroads. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank Lampard came in, and you know, after a same period of the time, he just completely fell out of favour with Lampard, and not not just to the point of falling out of favour. You know, he'd obviously. Had a bit of a falling out, you know, well yeah. publicised spat. Are you able to explain the situation yeah. and kind of what happened yeah. there to those who don't really know what happened? Because to be honest, yeah. I'll, I'll let you explain. But you know, from quotes from Decore, he doesn't really know himself.
1: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. <laughs> yeah, if Abdullah Decorey claims he doesn't even know. And uh, who, who am I to say what actually happened? I think by from what my understanding of the situation was that, yeah, like a lot of times there is in the football dressing room there were crosswords. I mean, something was said out of turn and, it, you know, the, the power is people say that players have got power now, but ultimately, you know, it's the manager who's, who's in charge and that left the court. Of course, it was very late in Lampard's. Rain and perhaps that's what happens. It's desperation stakes, isn't it? When you when you're on the brink and you make big decisions like that. But yeah, the Corey was left out the call. Was actually I understand training on his own right at the end. So um, that was a, a, I'm sure a real shame all around. And uh, the core himself, like you said, uh, <laughs> claims not to uh, quite know why that happens. I'm sure he knows what was said between the pair. Uh, and certainly something must have been said, but. Yeah, you know, he's not disclosed exactly what the the nature of the fallout was, but yeah, he's actually, you know, something was said within the dressing room, and Frank Lampard felt that um, he he he'd crossed the line. But yeah, the, um, a lot of new, a man- of players get new opportunities when a new manager comes in, and what a dramatic transformation for Decore from going from being, the, you know, the one player who's out in the cold and separated from the rest of the squad to, you know, now almost a year on the, being the main man.
0: I mean the the quote from Decore. I think this was probably around the time, maybe a little bit after. To be honest, I did not really understand what had happened between yeah. me and him. Obviously, referring to Lampard is the phrase. Let me make sure I get this right, and I don't <laughs> mess it up. Is the phrase from Lampard Lampard's point of view cutting off your nose to, to spite your face? Does that come to Does that come to the fore, or you know, Lampard, was Lampard?
1: Be, if he was deploying Decore to? Um the extent that Deitch was, was he, if he was getting the tune out of the core that Deitch was getting out, he certainly would be. But the fact was that, you know, whether how much was down to the player, how much does to the manager, He just wasn't anywhere near as effective under Lampard. So Frank at the time would have probably not seen that as being such a, a pivotal um decision. It's not like, as uh, um, always, like, you know, if, if Sean Dice decided he wasn't going to play Jared Branthwaite now, it's nowhere near that sort of situation, is it? I mean, he, he wasn't firing on all cylinders then. So, yeah, he could say cut his nose off to spite his face, but the player was was a lot less effective at that period in time. Yeah, absolutely. I
0: completely agree. Massive turnaround. Two, a question then from Toffee, mm-hmm. number two on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I think we'll probably know the answer to this, Chris, because I think it was only recently, but Toffee, two on YouTube, has said Would you give to Corey a longer contract?
1: Obviously, um, he's, he's just signed the, the extension now, so I think at this stage of his career, given that he's 30 years of age, having him signed down to the end of next season, so to the point when the club expects to move in the new stadium, I think that's that's fair enough. There's no need to go beyond that at that particular stage in time. That business has been taken care of in, in-house, and I'm sure of... I mean, Decoré has always seemed very happy at Everton, even when things weren't going particularly great for him. He he, he seems to speak quite genuinely of his affection for his club and the fact that he enjoyed enjoys being here. So, yeah, I think that's just fine at the moment. Gotten down there for uh, an, another eighteen months, and you know, if things continue in the way they are, I'm sure we get looked at again. But like you say, yeah, it's, that one's been dealt with, and uh, at this stage of his career, that, that that's fine, I think.
0: No, yeah, I completely agree. Toffee too on YouTube again has says, in my opinion, we should tie him down for as long as we can. No. If another club may come in and get him for the steal, but as you you know, mentioned, two thousand twenty-five, you know he's the wrong end of thirty, or you know yeah. past past thirty. Now, yeah. you know, the there, there does come a time in a midfielder's career who's got a massive engine that it does start to to wind down a little bit. But at this moment in time, he's in Everton play and he's definitely not going anywhere until
1: after that contract expires. Mm. Um, yeah, you, you would think so. I'm sure there, there'd be interest now. There'd be a lot of teams probably thinking they, they missed out. Um seems we might have been interested um, uh, last um, January. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's pretty, I understand he is one of the top earners at, at Goodison Park. I mean, he came in that era when a lot more money was being splashed about. But um, yeah, be, at the moment, every everyone seems very happy with each other and... Uh, and you wouldn't imagine because that's the thing. I suppose with, with the core right now, as effective as he, as he is, give, given his age, he's not. He's not one who's probably going to have a, a massive resale value. So I think um, he'd be uh, everyone would be happy of him staying put.
0: How is his game altered then, Chris? You know, is it yeah. just a case of altered and developed really? But how, is it just a case of him playing further up the pitch? You know, it can't just be. Can't yeah. just be that. There's got to be other stuff to it, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, and but the the piece in the. The actual written article, we used um, something called Comparisonator, which is uh, which is a Turkish firm who helped me out with all their stats and facts. And there's some really sort of telling numbers, really. I mean, when we talk about stats and facts, I don't mean like in a, in a boring sense, you know, people switch off because you think they're going to talk you know, throw a load of numbers at them. But I think they're actually really telling, really. I just had to jot them down uh, before. I mean, on the one hand, his defensive numbers have all gone down. But that's because... He's been so attack-minded. And because it, um, he's so much more an offensive, potent weapon, if you look at his attacking numbers, they've all gone up. Almost all of them have, have gone up. Um, his shots have doubled. He's actually 1.39 a game now as opposed to 0.63. Like I said, uh, and there's actually shots on target. that, that they, They've gone up um, that, uh, um, from... Point, 0.51 to 0.75 he's dribbling the ball more that's gone up almost to two dribbles a game as opposed to 0.63 and then he's attacking actions they've more than doubled so that's the actual, the actual sort of move as he's doing in, it, in an attacking nature and they've gone up from 2.2 a game to 4.86 and all this has meant that his actual expected goals the old XG, I suppose the one stat that keeps getting banded about a lot of the time now, I mean, Deitch himself mentioned it when he was talking about the team earlier this season. The Corey's XG has gone up from 0.04 per game, which is you know, very low, isn't it? To 0.34. So these these figures are all skyrocketed, and it's, it's sort of no surprise, really. It's about, it's about, I suppose, it backs up these number crunches in the stats men and something that is important, though, in modern football. Deitch was explaining earlier in the season how rather than sort of ripping up and start again when Everton were losing all those games at Goodison, he turned to the stat, man and, stat men and the Everton's data analysis team and they said, no, keep on doing what you're doing. You know, you, things will turn around. And they had the numbers to back it up. And these sort of numbers back up what Decore is doing. He is bound to be scoring more goals when these sort of numbers across the board are all increasing by so much and it sort of vindicates, you know, that these aren't just, stats just to throw in, to embellish something, they actually mean something, these numbers and they just sort of demonstrate just what an increased attacking in the outlet he is. Sticking with the stats
0: then, Chris, because I've got a yeah. few numbers from, from your piece, basically, that you've written. Yeah. you've written and you may have just touched upon them there, but yeah. basically he's, he's netted 15 times in 100 matches in yeah. all competitions, so it's like a strike rate of just under seven gay every seven games, yeah. You know they're not they're not amazing numbers, but no. it, that doesn't really tell the story, does it? Of of the core A certainly. So compared to the last twenty six matches, he scored eleven, and now that yeah. has gone down to literally every two in just two point three six matches. So absolutely, yeah. absolutely massive difference compared to what he what he previously done under the uh,
1: previous regimes. Yeah, like you say, that was his 100th Premier League game for Everton against Chelsea. And 11 of those 15 goals have, have come in the last 26 games. It's a massive turnaround. I mean, probably only somebody like Romelu Lukaku who's got that sort of like a, a better strike rate up overall for Everton than what DeCorey's had in, in those last um, 26 games. Was it, Was it? I think, five last season? And then is it six this season? I think that's how it it breaks down. And, yeah, it, it, it's an incredible turnaround, um, really. It's just like you're looking at a totally... Different player. If you look at one set of numbers and another one, you think it it was a different player, and that's that's how dramatic the sort of the change has been. And it's all down to him just totally changing that role. You know, he's he's not just there in the centre of the park within challenges. You know, obviously that's his starting position, but he's the fact that he's able to manoeuvre between those two penalty areas and get up and down. Let's not forget, okay, his, his defensive side has gone down, which is also covered in the piece fact that he is so attack-minded now, but he still does like to defend. And you certainly saw that towards um, the end of the Chelsea game. There was one where he sort of ushered Mudric out, Mudric out for a, a goal kick rather than letting him get the cross in. And uh, Amadou Anana came over, giving the big chest bump. Chest bump. So, I know uh, it's a bit of a controversial one with Dice players celebrating in games and whether it's for goals or even non-goal celebrations, which is particularly not enamored with the manager. Um Decore's still got that passion to defend as well. And, you know, he, he still does that as well as all this uh, attacking plays. He's, he's getting the floor for.
0: And as assists, that's not too bad either. You putting some figures in there in your article about his assists. So, you know, it's not only a dramatic upsurge in scoring goals, but he's had more assists per 19 minutes and shot assists. So figures yeah. at low 0.12 and, low, and 1.04 um, respectively as opposed
1: to nil. So he's obviously, you know, contributing as a whole as a midfielder. Yeah, he's, he's there or thereabouts. He's in those danger areas, isn't he? Where he's hurting the opposition, whether he's capitalising on a chance that somebody else had, whether that was Dominic Calvert-Lewin shot getting saved and then Decoray sticking on the rebound or he's, he's finding somebody else. You know, his goal contributions, he's he's having tangible contributions to goals. I mean, we've seen it as well with Dwight McNeil, who's a very different sort of player, but the pair and the way they've both risen their game and sort of increased their numbers under... Dai, he's in an area where he's going to hurt the the opposition, whether that's finding somebody else or, as he loves to do, take the chance himself. And dice has dropped a little nickname for him, Johnny on the Spot. Is that yeah, just in
0: reference to his, you know, now goal scoring midfielder, or is that something else? Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, no, that's just a, that's just him being in the right place at, at the right time. Nothing more, uh, sort of elaborate than that. I mean, it's so, sort what the these um. Natural finishes are, oh, no, aren't they? They get they appear in, in the right moments, and I think that's why I was thinking back to, to Tim Kale. he he, he just pop up, wouldn't he, in, in those dangerous moments? Um, obviously, you've got to have a bit of an instinctive finisher, but you know, they, they, they're they just there at the, the, the big moments, and like we said earlier, no more bigger moment than uh, than Bournemouth last game last season. You know, the, the goal that preserved um Everton's. Um, status in the top flight, although they prevented the first relegation in 72 years. And let's not forget that brace in the uh, the game at Brighton earlier in that month, I mean, when he set Everton on the way after about 30 seconds, wasn't it? And it was that huge victory which sort of shifted the whole momentum of the relegation battle and sort of moved everything into Everton's favour. There have been some really uh, important goals at uh, important moments. And he's become such a potent
0: weapon, as, as we mentioned, Chris. You know, his goals, his assists. Is it is it a case of Dice just trusting to You know, Dice basically just trusting the players that he's already got at his disposal. I mean, there's a quote here before you go on to answer. So Dice has said, I've long been an admirer of to, call it, to call it qualities. And from mm-hmm. the moment I became Everton manager, I was keen to get him into our team. And for him to show what he can do. So, you know, it's for me there that Decorey's always had, you know, some qualities as an attacker midfielder, maybe just not being used correctly. Dice surely is just putting trust in. I mean, you could probably say that this for a couple of players as well, certainly Decorey and like the likes of Michalenko. But is it just players being, feeling trusted and wanted effectively at the club?
1: Yeah, yeah, like you said, it is that trust because he also says that it's ultimately it's them who's got to do it, isn't it? He can he can only take them so far. He can show them what to do. They need to go out there and, and do it themselves. And I guess that is the, the, the trust and the, the, the fact, like you say, that's a very good example of Vitaly Mikolenko because he's one. You now, um, it was quite damning really that he was playing under uh, uh, Frank Lampard that Ashley Cole, you know, best left back in Premier League history, his first team coach yeah. And Mikel was struggling; he was out of position. I know the manager himself wasn't happy with his positioning at times. He's sort of like a fish out of water and at times. You're thinking, "Oh, i spent a lot of money on him, and he's not going to come good." But you know, he's been totally um, revitalized on and his team. So, yeah, it's given these players that 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 trust and uh, feel that they can go and do the job. And yeah, at Dukore, I know. Um, Dyche obviously got connections at Watford. That was where he, he started his managerial career all those years ago. Before he went to to Burnley, and uh, he knows people down at Watford, so he was well aware of what Decory was capable of, and he obviously saw something in when when he'd watched him in the past, and felt that you know he would be effective when he'd be deployed in this um, more advanced role. So you know, hats off to, to Sean Dyche for actually spotting that in the player who maybe not really been uh, used like that in the past.
0: And as mentioned, Chris, the player has committed himself to the club until 2025, so he's going nowhere. I don't think we have to worry about any of that. And whatever happens now, you know, the has ultimately thrust himself into Everton folklore history. You know, yeah. that goal against Bournemouth last season, probably out of all the goals that he scored for Everton, the most important goal that he's ever scored in his Everton career, probably one of the most important goals that he, he will have scored in his entire career. Um, what a day that was, you know. <laughs> Maybe an unlikely hero at the time. Did we expect the coordinator to be the one to score that goal and, and keep Everton up? Either way, it doesn't matter. He scored an absolute worthy of a goal. It went in the back of the net. Everton survived for another season, and to um, coordinator again is is become an absolute, you know, blue hero at Goodison Park, hasn't he?
1: Yeah, it's funny. Like the, the I mean, I'm a, I'm a veteran of all three of those Everton uh, last day escapes. Um, <laughs> Obviously, in the press box for the last one, but you know, I was there against Wimbledon in '94, against Coventry City in '98. This was very different, actually, because every well, you know, the fact that it was in Everton's own hands, I mean, it was, you know, still wasn't was anything but relaxing, but um, um, yeah, it was you know, midfielders who maybe weren't so obvious, um, heroes you would have thought at the time who came up trumps both occasions Barry Horn in '94, uh, Gareth Farrelly in '98. You know, you're going to be remembered forever if you do that. I mean, they're two very sort of different characters. Barry Horn went on to win the FA Cup uh, with Everton the following year. So, you know, he's always going to be a, a legend in that respect. Whereas Gareth Farley, by his own admission, I mean, I've spoken to him since he's very intelligent guy. He's reinvented himself as, as a lawyer now. And uh, by his own admission, he's pretty, probably better at the law than he was at, at, at football. And, uh, he never sort of um, hit the heights expected of him at Everton, but, you know, he's always going to be remembered for that goal and saving Everton against Coventry City in 98. And the same goes for Decorey. You know, if he did nothing now, he'd be remembered for that. But the good thing is that he, he's carrying on from that. That's just the sort of, like, the platform springboard to hopefully go on to do bigger and better things for Everton. So he'll always be remembered for that goal against Bournemouth. Wouldn't it be incredible if he goes on to do something better than that and he actually scores a goal that is... Got even greater magnitude, and that 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 that'd be something special, wouldn't it? Uh, who knows? Maybe you know he's he's got that contract until twenty twenty five. Maybe he does sign an extension. Who knows? You might even score the first goal the new stadium. He might have that one. That would be special, wouldn't it? To be honest, it would be very special.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, Chris. I think that's all from today's show. of questions, but it was you know a short one. Is it? Is it worth? Just I, I, I did see. Um, Mason Hoggy might be on his way back to Goodison Park from his from his loan at Southampton. If that that hasn't happened already, is it is it worth just relaying a little bit of information
1: on that? It's been, it's been uh, well reported, but um, from my understanding at the moment, there's nothing imminent in that respect. Certainly, been very disappointing for Mason down at Southampton. You thought going to the Championship club, that'd be the you know chance for him to relaunch his um, career. But um, yeah, I know there's been a couple of reports on that one, but as as far as i understand there's nothing uh, in in the offing um at the moment
0: okay well we will leave it there a short show for today all about Abdelai the if you are only just joining now please rewind and give it a watch back um, also remember to give chris's piece a look at, a look over it makes for good reading you can find that piece in the youtube description of this youtube live stream as well as the facebook uh, facebook stream in the comments section again like i say Give it a read. It's a really good read and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Everything about Abdullah like the Evan and Transformation. Chris, thanks very much for joining me. Is there anything else we should look out for before we go? Is there anything else we should look out for on the website this evening in regards yeah,
1: We've got I, I can confirm confirm now. Yeah, we've got the the lovely Alder Hay um pictures on, on the way, as we know, Everton. terrific. They make that annual um visit to Alder Hay Children's Hospital, meet all those um poorly children who are unfortunately having to spend Christmas time in in hospital and there's some some lovely uh, photographs coming up for that one, so look out for that one. Okay, fantastic stuff. Okay, everyone, thank
0: you and everyone for watching on YouTube and Facebook. I've been Ian Crowell with Chris Beasley and this has been the Royal Blue Podcast Live.
1: You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.